Hey there, bold one, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have Don Marie Gomez. She's an actress based near New York, works out in New York City, SAG actress. She's also working on a one-woman show, and this is a subject that is really, really interesting to me. So we are going to pick that all apart today. Don, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome, welcome. How are you? I'm well. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for asking. I'm really excited to be here. Great. This is awesome. Love it. Yeah. So tell the watchers, the listeners a little bit about yourself. I know you're SAG and Equity, and you've yes. been acting for how long? Well, I started originally when I was in the second grade. Uh, oh, wow. A, okay. Yeah. So I've just a couple of years. Time, <laughs> even though I didn't understand the dynamic, of course, in the second grade when I uh, did a show and people were laughing at me. I thought they were laughing at me. I didn't know. They thought I was just yeah. cute. Then in high school, I went to a school in Connecticut called um, Educational Center for the Arts, uh, where I learned to sing operas and develop my vocals a little bit better. Yeah, and amazing. Then I got, you know, did the normal stuff that I think women tend to do, get married, have children. Started taking it a little ser more seriously in 2005, six, where I did a voiceover for a computer game, PC game called Sun Age, where I played the Oracle. And still kind of teetered with it, you know, in nursing and stuff like that. So, but I really started taking it very seriously at 14. And then I'm like, okay, in 19, I'm like, I didn't like the non-union non side and worked hard to get into sag -Aftra. Into the unions. And then yeah. a year later became actress. Yeah. So. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, the reason I have you on the show today is because you are developing a one-woman show. And we talked about this briefly. So tell us a little bit about that again. Remind everybody. So the name of the show is called I Am Not a Monolith. It is a semi-autobiographical. What I did was I took experiences from me encountering as an African-American woman. I also interviewed about 10 other African-American women of color to see if our situations and experiences were similar at all. And I found it to be quite eye-opening the levels mm -hmm. of some of the microaggressions that we received as actresses and as African-American or BIPOC. And it just was enlightening for me that I realized I was not alone. Individualistic yeah. thing, it's kind of something across the board. And So yeah. are these going to be like a series of monologues told from these different women's points of view? Or tell me about the overall scope of the one Absolutely. woman show. How does it work? So it starts off with me as little Don and some of the things I encountered from my family, having a very supportive grandmother, having a mother who didn't buy into the whole entertainment thing. Mm -hmm. It goes into... She wanted you to be a doctor. She wanted you to well, <laughs> wanted me to be Anything except an actress. We <laughs> go, but... And it's funny because when I became a mother, that was what she thought I should just stay at. Mm -hmm. Your mom did, you know? Yeah. And I never bought into that because I think that a lot of times as mothers, and I'm sure you can attest to that, we mm -hmm. kind of get relegated and diminished into that scope of mother-wife, no longer have our own identity. Yeah. Oh, you my know? God. One of, the, one of my biggest pet peeves, and it still comes up once in a while, is when it's Mr. and Mrs. Matthias Cedar on the envelope or on the invitation. I'm like, where am I in that? Where am I? I don't see my name. I was given you a know? name. Yeah, I want a name. I want my full name. I'm not just yeah. Mrs. Matias Cedar. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that's something that um, I struggled with because, you know, I'm always Don, right? 
you are always dogged from whatever your name is to whenever you leave this realm, that's still your name, you know? Yeah. But again, as women, we do get diminished and put in the background and we do so much to keep things afloat. And so this is such a subject that's near and dear to me. As you know, these are the actors that I coach coming back are the ones who've taken this break to mm -hmm. be mostly be moms. Honestly, Mom. I also coach some men, but a lot of men are also have to take a break when they start to have kids. And it's not necessarily to be the main parent, but it's to be right. the main breadwinner. Breadwinner. You know? Yeah. Right. And so, then you introduce that scope and then picture women who, like myself, was married, but then found herself in the middle of a divorce. And mm -hmm. now I'm mom and breadwinner. Yes. So having to pull back out of that yeah. and make sure I took on the road, especially my oldest having autism, severe autism yeah. and epilepsy. I've got to be number one to caretaker. There is no one else. Yeah, that so definitely uh, adds to it. It was an uphill battle, but I'm winning. <laughs> yes. I'm winning that battle. Well, that's all that counts. That's all that counts. So, Dawn, tell me, we got a little bit off track, but tell me what the scope of it is. Is it, is it, you know, when you say you interviewed all these different women, my immediate thought was that there would be monologues or stories told from different women's point of view, kind of like the vagina monologues or the monologues that even Whoopi Goldberg used to do. That do you remember those exactly back correct. in the day when we were yes, just I do remember not those. even alive yet? Yeah, <laughs> right. That is exactly what it is. It's a series of monologues. A lot of what I've gone through, but a lot of what the other women have gone through. Um, for example, there's a monologue that talks about going in for an audition for a Shakespearean piece and being told that I was in the wrong spot. Um, do you have a headshot and resume? You know, maybe you were looking for something else. And having to push through that, that actually happened to one of the women, LaDonna Aikens, who went through that piece. Yeah. So it talks about a lot. It just, it's a beautiful menagerie of different things and just woven in um, seamlessly where I'm constantly changing costumes as I'm talking. And oh, then wow. I've added uh, visuals. So you'll see visuals of me, actually, instead of having an actual hard set, um, there's the visuals behind me where you'll see, you know, me at the audition um, yeah. room, in the hallway, you yeah. know, in yeah. my room. What is the process of writing a one-woman show? Was it just literally like writing each monologue and stringing them together? Tell me about that. So I worked with a girlfriend of mine who's a phenomenal writer. Her name is Veronique Lachelle McRae. And we just compiled everything together, put all the experience together and kind of outlined things. And then she took it and kind of tweaked it. So we want, what we wanted to do was we wanted to be educational. We didn't want to be so in your face. Yeah. Um, because we want people, people to be receptive. Off, right? Yeah. We want people to understand that when anybody says something is wrong or something has happened, to understand that just because it may not have happened to you directly, does it mean it's not happening? It's also hard for us to imagine someone being hurt. Even everyday life, we hear somebody got hurt or killed. We have a time accepting that someone did that. So we tend to victim blame. Maybe if they had done A, B, C, D, this would not have happened. Because it's mm -hmm. too painful psychologically for us to accept mm -hmm. that people could really be that yeah. And that was something that we decided to do. Also, I wanted to showcase my different talents, singing in German, singing in Latin, 
doing a monologue from King Lear, who does that, especially there's not a lot of roles for women in King Lear. So to, well, to the take more on that. <laughs> they are there, but tired from that. Yeah. That's you know, what does that look like when you get cast in a Shakespearean piece? You always relegate, you know, if you think of Romeo and Juliet, you're going to go for Juliet, right? Or what? So that type of thing. And now to take on a male role as a yeah. woman and yeah. then take on a male role as a black woman. Like, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. So it's really well, So cool what does that look like? Do you, do you frame that within modern perceptions or how, how are you working that? So... When this started, I was at CCBC, Community College of Baltimore County, to begin my career working towards my master's in fine arts with a concentration of acting. And this was an independent project because they had other electives you could do, but I was challenged. And one of the things I remember asking my professor, Damon Chromitas, is, can you find roles that aren't matronly for me? <laughs> Can you send me stuff that gives me I a do challenge? not want to play the nurse again. I don't want to play the nurse. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to play the mom. I don't want to play the characteristic, stereotypical roles that you get relegated to, right? As a woman, as a Black woman, whatever. But he said to me, Edmund from King Lear, and I was like, mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just, I tease and say, you know, all of us women have some form of testosterone. We know we have a, a, a level. Just tapped into that level. <laughs> it is. And I didn't want to make it stereotypical to men either. I didn't want to make right. them into a caricature, you know. Right. So um, I just play it as authentically as I can. Went through YouTube and watched, you know, different schools who performed it and put it on YouTube and things of that magnitude. Just to get that nuance, you know, that, and then performed it. My biggest thing is to make sure that no one is represented as a caricature. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. very important. Very yeah, important. absolutely. So what would you say is the through line for the show? What is the through line for the show? Yeah. Meaning like the, the what you want people to take away from it? Yeah. And okay. what is the thing that sort of strings all... Or is it that it's all told from an African-American woman's point of view? Is that what the sort of the... It's basically saying, listen, when you see an African-American woman or a BIPOC woman, whatever you've been taught, because most of what we think is what we've been taught. Right. No matter what you've seen on television, this is not who each and every one that you encounter is like. We all have stories to tell. We all come from different walks of life. We all love different things, just like everybody else on the planet. And so I wanted you to understand that it's okay for you to put an African-American or a BIPOC woman in a role that is non-stereotypical. It's okay for you to put her as Please a scientist do. or engineer. I'm right? so sick of seeing things we expect to see. Right. You know, it's okay to give any woman, but especially African-American woman, the intellect, because we do. Like, there's different things. And one of the things that, as an actor, I strive for as I'm working on other projects is so that you can see, you know, what is it like to have autism as a woman, as a Black woman? Does anybody I, know that? I think, no, but I'm writing something about that. Th and that is, because I've met your daughter. Yeah. And that's something that you can give such an interesting perspective on as a mom who has an, because she's what, she's in her late teens, early, how old is she? 
Oh, my my daughter will be 36 next 30, Friday. 36. Oh, 30. my gosh. So it's just the autism that makes her come across as younger. Yeah. As younger. But, yeah. You know, you've watched her go from being a little girl to being a woman, dealing with this whole time. And it's such an interesting perspective because, of course, you love your daughter and you're seeing it from an entirely different point of view. Exactly. And I'm sure you've had really in-depth conversations with her. So you have a really great idea about how she feels. Are you putting that in the show as well? Um, so not this show, but the film that I'm doing. Yes, okay, I will do okay. that. Um, okay. I wanted, this was more so, one of the lines in the show says, I just want to work. And when we talked about it and I read it and it, it just kind of hit me in the heart. Because yeah. that's what all of us want to do, right? As, right? as creatives, as actors, we just want to work. Yeah. We know that this is an industry that goes by look and aesthetic first and then talent we know that but where where does the talent play and if you have the talent just because i may not fit in the cookie cutter image of what you deem as an actor or actress doesn't mean that i can't do the role doesn't mean that i don't play this role quote unquote in everyday life right so that's some of the things i want uh people to take away yeah. From this show. So, just saying, just give people a chance without looking on outside. Like, let's let's take a look at what they bring. Yeah. What, Absolutely. We all are beautiful. We yeah. all have some form of a talent. How about we accept people on those characteristics instead yeah. of seeing, so that's something you and I said, that, you know, people will see both of us in a room and we're women. Right. So we share that camaraderie. We're both women. We're both moms. We're both ex I'm ex-wife. You're a current wife. You know, we're all these things. Right. But then I have to go an extra level because you first see my blackness. Then you see my womanhood. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, because I, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked to play the sassy urban role. You don't do your neck like this. Yeah. Right. Right. Those things. Yeah, we've gotten into this a little bit in depth off camera. And it, it was an interesting conversation because I have, you know, something that's very not very loved in the world at the moment is, you know, I'm I'm Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I and I although I'm not religious at all, I definitely culturally identify, especially because I feel like to not identify with it would be just being as bad as somebody who's an anti-Semite. Why would I turn my back on that? Right. Right. So, but unless I tell someone or I'm wearing a Star David or whatever it is. Right. You know, but you, you know, and of course you, I come up with, against it on much smaller levels, but there are those things. Like if I say, I don't know, I, I love a good deal, which I do, of course. Oh, well, you're Jewish. It's like, uh, oh yeah, you've never heard that one. <laughs> I have heard it. I have. Yeah. Again, so I'm a native New Yorker. And as a native New Yorker, I grew up around everybody. Jewish culture was just the norm. Yeah. New York it was for just sure. the norm for me. Yeah. I yeah. didn't think anything of it. I have heard all the slurs that could be said about Jewish people. I've heard slurs about Latin people. I've heard slurs, of course, as an African American Chinese. person. Yeah, everybody. It's Italian, right. German. Right. Right. <laughs> My thing that I say to people now is, if you feel so superior and you're much smarter than I am, can you come up with something new? Which, 
heard it all before. We heard it all. Yeah. Come on with something new and improved, and I'll respect you for that. Yeah. But if you're regurgitating the same thing, yeah. Century and millennia. And I mean, I it's just, you know, these generalizations. Think about it. But know. they're taught. They're yeah, packed. absolutely. And I think in many cases, people don't even realize it half right. the time, you know, until right. it's something they're confronted with. Exactly. So I hope that enough people see your show to have it make an impact because just, it's something that's needed. But let's talk about the nitty gritty of the show. Like, how yeah. do you put the show together? If I wanted to do a one woman show, what would you say to me? What would be like your top three takeaways? Um, Figure out how long you want to be on stage by yourself. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Stage by yourself. Um, So in a typical production play, you have your castmates. And so if you drop a line or something like that, your castmates can usually kind of pull you back. One show you are, it's you, yourself and you. Yeah. You don't have that safety net, you know. And it can be okay, too, because sometimes you can ad lib a little right. bit, do a little bit of improv and then pull yourself back as long as it makes sense. But if you don't have that skill set and not everybody does and it's okay, you better be on point. Think about costuming because when you're doing costumes, you want to make sure that the costumes are not too cumbersome where you're struggling to get in and out of, which will throw you off of your dialogue. And it becomes distracting. So you really have to do it. Everything is about timing. You must have impeccable timing because mm. do not one little snafu, unless again you're strong at improv, will kind of upset the whole cart. Right. There's a saying in the theater community that says, dead baby on a stage. Yep. And yeah, what it means is everything else could be great. But if you're that one actor or whatever that goes awry, all people can see is that. No one sees the aesthetics. No one listens to the music anymore. You just see the fiasco that's unfurling in front of them, right? So that's why I'm very, very, very... I don't know. I I might have to challenge you on that one because I think unless the people are familiar with the play and unless the actor is like a deer in the headlights, oh my God, I lost my lines or whatever it is. I think the audience wouldn't be aware of it if the, you know, especially if the other actors are sort of picking up slack here and there. If the other actors are. Right. But if you But if everybody's just like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) Like, I can tell, even if if I don't know dialogue to play, I can tell when someone's flubbed. Because I'm professional, one, but also, two, there is a certain body language that they give off at, at, you know, to say the least. But when you have a one-woman show... Somebody to catch you when you fall. It's right there. So let's talk about that for a sec. Um, How important is it to have a director in helping you right from the very beginning? Very important. One of the things that I've noticed with people when they do one-woman plays or any type of project that is autonomous to themselves, a lot of people don't feel like they need a director. That cannot be more further from the truth. The reason is because you don't see you. You don't see how something is being conveyed. We don't walk around every day with a mirror. And we know what we mean. We know what we're trying to say. Yeah. But is it 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 coming across? Conveyed to the audience. Is the audience picking up what you're trying to say? Yeah. And because we're actors, and let's be clear, I'm going to say this. I say this every time people ask. Actors are extremely sensitive people. We are sensitive about our craft. We are sensitive about how we portray things. 
we are sensitive about how we are viewed. So the ideology of needing someone to help us, what do you mean I need a director? I know, I wrote, I did, I, this me. No, you need a director. You need outside eyes. So when do you bring a director in? Is it during the writing process or it, do you write it out? During the writing process, as you send over drafts, send it to the director to see how it's being conveyed, see if the message is coming off clear, see if you're being just too wordy. Are you being redundant in things? Are you really uh, honing in on what you're trying to say? What language is being used? That's important. The language, what may work in New York may not work so much in Florida. In Cal you have to take into consideration in the language and make it universal to where anybody can say, okay, I can understand, I can relate, mm -hmm. that type of thing. So it's important to bring that director right away. Or even if, if you completed your final draft, send it over and let them look at it, let them read it, because you want them to be able to visualize what you said. Yeah, of course. And that was one of the yeah. things that when I was working with Veronique, who directed it um, originally, she could visualize. She's like, I see this. I see that. That's important, you know, because the people can't see what you're talking about. It's just like, you know, what do you mean? You know, kind of they space yeah. out. Yeah. You don't want people to space out the middle. So of I'm wondering how different are the women in your show? I mean, I know it's all you, obviously, but how how different are the different characters in the show? Um, So the characters are different only in contextually how I portray it, but there's still my voice, as you know, I'm more taking on the empathetic person. I'm absorbing who you are as opposed to portraying you. I'm absorbing because I can relate because I've been through something similar, if not in the exact same thing. So it's a matter of them seeing me do it and saying, no, that's my story. She got it. That's my story. Putting their words into visuals and saying, yeah, I really know. This is, me. this is my part. Right. That's what I do. Not so much portraying them as themselves, but portraying... No, that's not what I mean. What I mean yeah. is the theme is kind of how people are, yeah, what it means definitely. to be an African-American woman mm -hmm. actress, mm -hmm. I think, right? right? In right. this world, in, in America this at this time. Yes. With that in mind, I'm wondering if you tell it from... Because... Right. A, a very light. Uh, obviously, you're portraying every woman. So we're looking at it through the lens of seeing you. Of women. Right. Right. I see. Mm -hmm. So it's right. it's hard to say, I guess, you know, like someone like Tandy. Oh, God, what's her last name? You know who I mean, the one from Westworld. Beautiful, very light skinned. Right. So right. that's very different from someone who's like a Viola Davis. Yes. Right. And then there's things. that as well. So she's having, she's going through this world and with her little privileged self being so beautiful as she is, she right? Is. With right. with a very different lens. With yes. a very different lens than an Oprah Winfrey. When, because Oprah Winfrey, for all of you youngins out there, is an amazing actress. She is. She, she really is. She yeah. Is. So people mostly just know her as a talk show host, but she's an amazing actress. So but, I don't too much into colorism. Oh, okay. That's a factor. It's that a is factor. a major factor. Or even if you take that away, like someone who there's classism as well, right? Someone who's been well educated, someone who has not been well educated. There's some somebody may speak a certain way and somebody may not speak a certain way. Right. And it doesn't have anything to do with their IQ. It has to do with how they were brought up. So that's what that gets addressed in the way where there's a scene where I'm 
at a coffee shop. Yeah. And they want me to come in as a patron, right? So I come in and ask for a coffee. And the director's like, that's not, I expect somebody from West Baltimore to say it. So there's the classism there, right? The way I sound right now is the way I, I've always spoke. In fact, yeah. when I was younger, my diction was even more precise. But that is a factor. How do you come, when you come in and you speak a certain way, because I've been told, oh, I can't cast you as an African-American for like voiceover. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I need you to sound more urban. So it is that stereotypical classism. We, that more so than the color. Colorism is a huge problem, but we address yeah. that. Wait. You know, oh, okay. Weight. That's an interesting one um, as well. Yeah. Because when I come in, I'm a thicker girl and they ask me to sing and I start singing, you know, Ave Maria. They're like, do you have something more urban? Because I'm supposed to either sound like Aretha Franklin or Mahalia Jackson since I'm a little older, right? There's no way that I can do a Bob Bluey, you know, there's no way I do that. So we address more so, again, classism and weights, um, just because that's a problem too. And you can, even as women as a whole, let's talk about women as a whole very quickly. Women as a whole are judged by their weight, right? Oh, absolutely. Right? And yeah. it has nothing to do with your talent. <laughs> weight right. doesn't identify you whether you have intellect or not. It's just your system, your metabolism is slower than other people. That's it, right? But they assume that, you know, thicker people are heavy or are lazy or are dumb or you're always supposed to be funny. You know, mm -hmm. I've been told, oh, you're funny. Or how come you're not funny if I'm in a serious mode? What? Am I supposed to be funny? You have right. a lot of confidence. Am right. I not supposed to have confidence? Yeah. Because I can lose weight, right? You can, you can do anything to lose weight. But can you do anything to lose ignorance? Because if you choose English, well, you can. You can learn, laugh, but right, yeah. I, I have like, a, a good friend of mine is an, is an actress here, and she has a movement uh, which she's actually getting rid of. So maybe I won't oh. mention the movement. But okay. her thing is that we should all be taken for face value and not judged on how we look. And she's also a bigger, thicker right. actress, right? right? And it's interesting because it's a different country, same stereotypes to a certain extent. You know, you're a fat girl, you must be funny. You want to be thin. You're always on a diet. And it's like, no, no, and no, you know? And right. Or yeah. even in the acting industry, let's say TV and film, if you are a thicker woman, then you're chasing after a man. Because see, no man wants you. Yeah. You've got to, if you think about, um, and I don't know anyone of your, of your audience knows about this show in the U.S. called The Parkers, which was with Monique and Countess Vaughn. And Monique was constantly chasing after Professor Ogilvy. Hey, Professor Ogilvy. And, and he was constantly running from her. Now, towards mm -hmm. the end of the show, they got together. But if it's the ideology that there's no way that anybody will want you because you're a thicker. Didn't Neil Labute write a, a play about that called Fat Pig? Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you know Neil Labute? Yes. The I didn't know. I've heard of that. But he I didn't did. Know. It's all about this guy who falls for a bigger girl and is embarrassed about it or coming to terms with it or whatever it is. But it's something like it's an older play. I think, thank God, maybe I'm wrong, but that's uh, a stereotype or, or a misconception sort of fading into the background because we see people of all shapes and sizes who are succeeding. Lizzo, she's amazing. Amazing. You know, yeah, she really is. And I, I love... Still 
if you look at comments, you could still see. And I love this part where people are like, oh, she's she's conveying unhealthy lifestyles and she's going to have a heart attack. And I usually come on these and I very rarely interact with comments. But I, a lot of times I'm like, so you became her physician. Yeah. There are lots of people who are thicker, who are extremely healthier than some of the smaller people. We can't judge people by what I call the meat suit. Right. I don't judge anybody by their meat suit. Yeah. Um, especially being a former medical professional, I've worked with people who were size zero who had hypertension and high yeah. cholesterol and diabetes. I mean, but yeah. you're looking yeah. at them, they look fine. But, right. So that's what you said, not to, to, you know, what you were saying about your, your friend, taking people for face value, not just, you know, seeing people how they are. Like getting yeah, take the off skin. the lens of your prejudice take and just try and take people as they come. But I have to say, this is something that I had to learn as well. My dad really has a thing against heavier people, long dead, but that was like a big thing for him. And he had all those stereotypes. He was my dad. I looked up to him. I listened to him. Your parents create your world until Correct. you get out there and find Correct. your own world. That's right. And so I just think it's really important that people do get outside and really challenge their own belief systems on a lot of levels. I think that comes with travel. Yeah, probably. Um, because and life. around other people. If you're always in your back, let's be clear. If, you, if I lived in Wyoming, a state that's not known to be popular. Yeah. And all I see are people who look and sound exactly like me, just maybe different variations, but they're still what I can relate to. And now you throw me into a, a state or a city called New York City, and I'm walking around. Everything that all I've these languages, all these smells. Smells, yeah. languages, yeah. just the vibe. You know, New York yeah. City is very electric. That's the best way I could put it. I'm going to come with my own biases and yeah. prejudices because that's all I've been around. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Don, it, let's talk for a minute about how you sell your show, like how you promote how do you your sell show. The show. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, because I want what I would love is that actors come away from this feeling inspired to create their own one person show. So understand. So just let me recap a little bit. So sure. we went over the first two points. We never got to the third one, but maybe I'll <laughs> be inspired okay. as we're talking. We do that. We so knowing how long you want to be on stage, that's very important. How getting, long do you a want to be on stage? getting a director in, to getting help a director from the, very from the gate. From the game. And making sure that this director understands what you want to convey and make sure that they can steer you in that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, what do you think is a good length for a one-person show? Is like an I hour? would not do anything. I would say anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour. Time, yeah. That's a yeah. long time for you to be on stage by yourself. That's a yeah. long time for dialogue. And because of the age that we're in where people have the attention spans of grapes, you don't want things to drag on. Right. on. Are you familiar with the comedian, Hannah? She's Australian. I'm not familiar with her, but I will look, definitely look her She's up. She's amazing. Her okay. first show was called Hannah, and I think her next show, she, two shows on Netflix, is called Dave after her dog. She's amazing because she's a lesbian and falls into the stereotypical way we think lesbians should look and is very aware of this. And I think she's also slightly on the spectrum of autism, if I'm remembering this correctly. Okay. Her whole show was like a series of one-two punches. It was laugh, 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 
And then she'd plant this little bomb for you that would mm. go off a little bit mm. later. So it was like you were laughing at this a second ago, and then all of a sudden she's turned it around and shown it to you in a new light. It was a really great show. I recommend it to anyone. But I found that that was really interesting. She's a stand-up comedian, so that's a whole nother thing. And yet it's not. It's still a one-person show, standing up there, putting themselves out there, not doing different characters, but still having a story and trying to tell it from different points of view, I guess. That was something that Goldberg did so well back when she was just starting out doing all those different monologues. She, she would do everything from yeah. really funny stuff to really poignant, where you'd be laughing one minute and then you're crying and then you're laughing again. And I just, there's so much beauty to that. Yeah. But that's also, you know, that's a hard thing, I think, to write, Very right? Much so. Especially much. without... So are you practicing some of these monologues? Like, do you get up on, a, on an open mic? Or how are you getting the resonance back to find out if they're coming across the way you want them to, besides having a director? Um, so this, when I debuted it at school, it was a 10-minute sample just to see. Um, I think it's important to do, like, a sample. You don't have to do the whole show, but, like, take excerpts from it in front of an audience and see what the feedback is. Um, maybe doing what we call, you know, um, stage readings to see like you, but of course you're going to be the only one who could do this because it's your piece. Right. But do a stage reading and go through it and get the feedback from people. See if it's landing. When I actually did the 10 minute excerpt and I've done it three times, excuse me. Um, I got the feedback, you know, like, yeah. oh, I could relate that happened to me. Oh, I didn't realize this happened. That's usually what I get from some counterparts. I didn't know that happened. Right. Um, How important is it to go in there with a set of questions that you want to ask them? Because I think often the danger can be in saying, this is what I got. What do you think? You're going to get a lot of, oh, I liked it. Or, oh, I didn't get this part. Or, you know, yeah, I, I thought it was funny. Or, well, you know, there's sort of general responses. So how specific do you make your questions when you are doing something like that? So I usually allow people to give me their feedback, their visceral response first. And then I go in with a series of questions that are targeted. <laughs> I really want to see what your initial response is without, you know, can you tell me your thoughts on how you saw the show? Then they're like, oh, I liked it. I didn't realize, let the audience kind of tell you how they feel. When I did it, I really didn't have a chance to ask any questions because I immediately got that. That was phenomenal. I had no idea that you could sing like that. Or I had no idea that women of color and black people went through that. Is that really happened? I did not know that. I didn't think that happened. You know, that those were the responses that I received from people who looked like me girl, you hit the nail on the head. I just, and they'll go into, yeah, I had that happen to me last week or I went to, so those are the things that I know that I'm hitting the mark. Yeah. Because people are either relating or asking questions about, and that, that's why I usually get, why would they do that to you? That opens the dialogue. And so when that, you're trying cool. to sell the show, like, do you, I know you've got some bookings even in London and maybe coming in Germany. That would be yeah, amazing. That would be great to come there. 
So how do you go about doing that? Do you tape the show and then send it? Do you make like a trailer? How would you go about selling the show? How do you go about getting bookings? Good question. So you could do it a couple of ways. The way I did it was when I performed it at the Boom Festival in North Carolina, I submitted a synopsis of mm -hmm. what it was. And that piqued the interest and they wanted to see more. And then I have a couple of posters that showed me in action. So I usually try not to, um, because I, I don't want you to really see this show. Well, of course, you wouldn't send the whole show in its entirety because there's no point. <laughs> and anybody well, unless you're, it, right? I mean, it's a stage, unless, right? It, like, it's right. I get what yeah. you're saying. But I usually just send the synopsis to see if the, the ideology, I want to know if the idea interests you first. Mm. That's what happened with the London show. I sent the ideology and what was going on. They were like, wow, that's interesting. I never thought of it. Can I see more? And then I sent the, you know, following right. thing. Right. Um, just to see if the people are receptive. Yes. I love that. So are it's you, I guess there are tons of theater festivals, which you could also apply to. and Tons of theater festivals. Now, the issue is being that I am equity. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain. Even your own a, show, you're not allowed to? In the U.S., you, you really have to go through equity to do your one-woman show because they want to make sure um, that it kind of fits all the bell and whistles. Like, do you need a stage manager? I don't need a stage manager. Like, there's certain right. criteria. Um, and I, off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember the, um, the exact contract. But yes, I, so, of course, overseas, I'm not under the equity umbrella. But in the U.S., yes. So trying to sell in the U.S., that's what I'm working on now is to making sure that I have a big, big proper paperwork involved with Actors' Equity. And then do my own woman's show, maybe off Broadway. That would be a dream to do it. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Okay, or Edinburgh much. or something. That's a, yes. like, always been a dream of mine to perform at Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Edinburgh. That would be amazing. And in fact, the director who directs my show did a show in Edinburgh. So yeah. that's like. So the let's holy talk deal. about one other thing. Sure. And you can say no, and if you say no, that's fine as well. But how do you go about pricing it? Like, how do you know what to charge? Excellent question. Usually what I do for everything that I, I charge for, I look at what's usual and customary. I kind of go by like what others have charged. I'll ask other people what they've charged for their shows. I also take in consideration the work that I've done. So you don't want to price yourself. You know, I don't want to say for one night you have to pay me $25,000, right? Because no, it's like right. pick up for show. So you have to kind of gauge it to where it is, the location, what that population, you know, who can afford the tickets, pricing the tickets accordingly, because you just want people to. So you're charging the theater saying whatever, it's 500 for the night, it's just five, as a round number. 500 for the night. Right. The and night. then how, however many, do you base it on the amount of seats in the house or? Uh, seats in the house, yes. So if you have okay. like, if an audience of like 500 people, then. You know, let's say it's, 750, because that's still a deal because the theater is going to make money off of that ticket. Sure. You know, yeah. you see what I'm saying? You want to, people who are listening, you want things to be fair across the board. You want yeah. to be a win-win situation. For everybody. For everybody. Yeah. Even though you know that you're probably worth the price of diamonds, it doesn't matter if you outprice yourself. Yeah. It also matters if you underprice yourself, if you don't price what you're worth. Yes. So you've got to find that happy medium. Yeah. Um, and that's where the work comes into play, you know, yeah. going and asking, 
does the theater and the promotions or are you doing it as well? You can negotiate that in your fee. If you promote them, let's say I say it's seven fifty for the night. Will you promote? No. Well, it's going to stay at seven fifty. Will you promote? Well, we can do some promotion. If that's additional, I will charge maybe 500 and then your additional might be 250 Do you see what I'm saying? You're still in the same realm of what you were originally charging. You'd want to make sure that your voice is heard. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's the absolutely. ultimate goal. What do you need to do to get to voice your voice heard? Again, like I said before, we're priceless, right? We're worth gazillion dollars. But if you charge people, no one's going to know who you are. Exactly. No you know, right. I'm not paying to, again, if it's a Hamilton, well, that's yeah. different. I mean, right. But that, right? you know, yeah. But, but there are still people who didn't go to the actual theater to see Hamilton because the price of the ticket was worth Not saying they weren't worth it, but if I can't afford it, yeah, and that's for a higher tier, right? Now I'm yeah. on a little lower tier. I can't charge Hamilton price tickets. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right now. Yeah. yeah. Wink, wink, right? But so or you have do to think you, about Do that. you ever rent space as well? Would you, you take on that space. kind of you risk? Can. You can rent theater space. Talk well, to I know you can. Space. I'm yeah, asking, and, do you take it? Yeah, I have yeah. done it. Um, yeah. So what would be, like, well, with this within this framework, as we're nearing an hour now, yeah. wrap it up for the watchers and the listeners. What are the three things that you would recommend that someone, so we know the, the first two already. Um, what's the biggest takeaway for you, like, in putting together a one-person show? The biggest takeaway that I can give is... You have to have a lot of confidence when you do this. Mm. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you're trying to convey. What's the message? Really have a strong conviction with your message. And be willing to be pliable, but not allow anyone to take away from your message. That happens a lot with all venues, but especially with the one-woman show. What do you want people to leave that theater thinking? Yeah. Don't water yourself down. Don't water your message down. You can make your message come across in a way that's palatable. I think that's what we tend to do. We tend to shrink. Don't shrink when you do this. Get to, again, make sure you're writing. Make sure you have a director. Make sure that you do your test audience. Make sure you do the work. This is not just you standing up on stage and talking for an hour or 30 right. minutes. This is actual work. Be willing to do the work. If you're willing to do the work, you can do anything. And you yeah. can definitely do this. I love that. Yeah. So this show is called, my podcast is called Act Bold. And with that in mind, can you tell me about a time that you acted boldly and it made a big impact on your life? I think putting on a one-woman show is acting boldly, was, by the way. But, you know, something else maybe. In, in, in general, I think me taking up space where people don't expect me to be mm. is how I act boldly. Me not being apologetic for who I am. And that's all of who I am. Mm. Even with a recent diagnosis of ADHD, I'll tell people about it. And most people are like, oh. you don't want people to look at you a different way. <laughs> I don't care. This yeah. is who I am. Yeah. That's how you act boldly, to accept who you are. You could change anything about you. That's fine. But really... It starts with accept. You can't yeah. get other people to accept you if you don't accept yourself. Yeah. I, I could not agree more. I think also as actors, it's so important for you to be as authentically you as possible. 
so that you can attract or repel. Both of them are doing you a favor. It is a filter system to find the people who want to work with us. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just thought of something, and I think this is important for everybody to know. As actors, I'm talking to actors specifically right now, what, no matter what the genre is, just because you don't get something doesn't mean it's you. You're the problem. Sometimes you don't get things that are, what do you call it, universe, if you're religious, whatever you deem is protecting you. There's been many projects that I have been overlooked for or rejected for. When I look back on them, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I wasn't on that. Because yeah. yeah. the internet, it, it media is forever. Right. Sometimes things are a blessing. Yeah. Create your own work because that's sometimes how people will see you. It's, it's making your loaf of bread instead of accepting the crumbs. Absolutely. Is that yours? That's, That's amazing. That's, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Make me a little first. Yeah. I, when I decided to make my own bread, that's how I Am Not a Monolith came. That's yeah. how Malfesis came, which is my next project, Keeping JoJo and Printed Day. Those are the ways, because if I want people to see me for who I am, I've got to write my own story. Yeah. And not yeah, let so someone else write it for me. Don, this has been such a pleasure. How can people Likewise. find you? Are you on Instagram or social media? I am medias? on Instagram. Yeah. I, I am not a monolith. I'll be adding some more content on that so you can see. I'm Don at Is Don it Iamnotamonolith.com? Um, so if you're going Instagram, it's at I am not a monolith. If you're on Instagram looking for me, it's at Don Maria. Okay, I'll um, put that in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. This was such an honor to do and so much fun. I always enjoy talking with you. Thank you so much. All right, bold ones. I hope that you enjoyed that and got a lot out of it. There was certainly a lot in there to get out of. Until next time, you stay your bold and beautiful self. Bye-bye.